0: There we go. I invite you to turn to Psalm 139, and in my Bible it says I preached this about nine months ago, but I'm not going to actually use this as the text, I just think it's a good way to start it today. So let's look at Psalm 139, and uh, you may think like you're going to stand forever today, um, because I'm going to ask you to stand again. And uh, this is an honor of our God and the word he gives us, Psalm 139. when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, there are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh that you would slay the wicked, O God! O oh, men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies shall take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there is any be any grievous way in me, and, and, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Our Father, as we look at this man, Joseph, who is such an example of our faith, may we be be reminded that his days were numbered and counted, and ours are too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, In my study of the story of Joseph, I heard one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, use this passage as an illustration, as a reminder of God's faithfulness in the deepest and darkest times. And what he did there, in in in, descri- in describing it, is that he switched the the voice. He made the voice that of the Lord speaking to Joseph. He says, O Lord, I have or, sorry. Oh Joseph, I have searched you and known you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up." and I discern your thoughts from afar. And you go back down to verse 13, and it really starts figuring out that this this is pretty cool. For I formed your inward parts. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I pray, uh, Praise me, for I fearfully and made, wonderfully made you. My works are wonderful, and your soul knows it. And so as we go through all of those different uh, passages that we can change there, and it's a little tricky when you're trying to, Change it on the fly. I don't know that you noticed that. I was trying to do that. I got a little backwards in there. We see that we get to verse 16. It says, My eyes saw your unformed substance. In my book were written your days, every one of them. The days that were formed for you. And there, as yet there are none of them. God cherishes those who belong to him. And he has a great plan for all the trials and all the struggles that you are going to endure. And that's one of the, the reasons that we find this passage in Genesis chapter 39 is so appealing to us, is that we see Joseph and what he endures at the hand of a sinful person and say, that's not fair. Injustice is present. Yet throughout the chapter... And throughout the story of this man, we see that even though injustice occurs, God is still faithful and purposeful for what he goes through. In Genesis 39, that's our our sermon text today, um, we see that God's plan will not falter. In whatever circumstance, in whatever trial, Whatever suffering and whatever life events it may be, we may think, God, where are you? But the answer is, He's been there the whole time, He sees the whole picture and brings them there. So let's go to Joseph. Um, Joseph, we, last week we looked at Judah and Tamar, and I appreciate the encouragement to, that, that I received from many of you dealing with that passage last Sunday because it's tricky, <laughs> a little tricky. But we see Judah's fulfillment as the son of the inheritance, the promise that would eventually lead to the, our Messiah, that is Christ. And we see how God sees those who suffer injustice, who suffer unjustly, and he still works things together for his glory. That's what we find with Joseph here. We, we see in, at the end of chapter 37 what happened. He was arrested. He was sold, right? His brothers threw him in a pit, and then sold him to the distant cousins, the Ishmaelites, that just happened to be going by on their way to Egypt. Now, whatever your trial and your circumstance in your life right now, I don't know all of you. I know many of you, most of you, that has not happened to you, unless it has. Anybody in here been sold by their siblings? Anybody been threatened by your siblings to be sold? Okay, that's a different... (laughs) That's a totally different thing, right? Um, How many of you wish you could sell your siblings? I'm sorry. That is not really the point we get to with that. The fact is, is that as obnoxious a teenager as Joseph was, telling his brothers, telling his parents about these dreams that he was having... The fact is, he was sold, and that hasn't happened to any of us, and I would dare say that it doesn't happen to many people in our world, in our culture today, maybe around the world, yes. We do need to fight for those who suffer injustice, and it's not saying that those kinds of things, I mean, trafficking happens even in our nation. I-25 Corridor is one of those places. It's not far from here, right? You can get there in about two minutes we see that injustice happens. God calls us to stand up for those who suffer. We stand up for those who are enduring hardship. And yet justice is one of those words today that we seldom see by itself. We usually see another adjective before it for some reason or some purpose, whether it's social justice, racial justice, these kinds of things. But justice in itself is a picture of getting what is deserved what you have rights to the reason we have a justice system is that we can defend those who would be um who have been wronged for whatever it is is it perfect no it's not there's people in jail who who have suffered unjust, unjust uh why do they have to make english so hard unjustly there are people who are in jail for crimes they did not commit. And yet there are so many more that did do something wrong, and they have received some measure of punishment. And one of the hard things is, is when you see people have paid their debt to society, when they get out, they have a hard time because they've got a cloud behind them, cloud over them. And the church calls us, or the, the Bible, sorry, the, God calls the church to care for those kinds of people, to help them be redeemed, to understand the rescue they have. Now, Joseph here, Joseph, it says in verse 39, Joseph had been brought down to, chapter 39, to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Potiphar, who was an officer, and it's interesting, this is about the only time we see that name pop up here, but he was an officer of Pharaoh, probably captain of the guard. That's one of the common translations that is used for there. That means he was a, a, a military commander, he was rich, he had a, a nice home, and he needed servants. And the, one of the ways they dealt with that today, unjustly, I think, was they purchased people to serve there. And it, that doesn't make it okay. It just, That's what the practice of the day was. Joseph, who had been sold unjustly, is sold unjustly again. It just gets worse. Yet, God is with him. What does it say? The Lord was with Joseph in verse 2, and he became a successful man. He climbed the ranks within the staff of this home to the point that Potiphar trusted him with everything. He had all the goods. He probably had a wonderful bed to sleep in. He had, he had a you know, not nice bedding and you know however they did windows of the day. He had a, probably a nice view of the Mediterranean, checking out the Nile. He was, as much as he could, as a slave, living the dream. He got put in charge of all kinds of stuff. It can't get much better than that, right? Right. From time he made him overseer of his whole house, and he blessed the house for Joseph's sake. God is faithful to his promise. He had promised to bless Abraham and his descendants, now his great-grandson, is in the home of Pharaoh, and, and there's greater things at stake here than just the, I'm sorry, the, the home of Potiphar. He, there are greater things at, at stake here than just this, but this, is, but this is evidence that God has blessed this man. That he is there to learn and to serve from the Lord there. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had. So now we learn some new things at the end of verse 6. He was good looking. I've never really had that problem. So when you start seeing the way he was described there, and some translations have it a little more uh, I don't know what I do seriously described, but it says, he was handsome in form and appearance. He was a good-looking dude. He probably did all his push-ups. He ran three miles a day. He did all the things that kept him in shape. He ate the good food. He was in good shape. He, he, was, he was a man who was worthy of honor. After a time, his, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said to him, lie with me. Well then, the story takes a shift, right? A little twist to the to the plot. The master's wife probably didn't have much to do because Joseph was so good at his job, and so she's deciding that this is a good-looking kid. He's probably been there ten years, late twenties. I mean, I once was that age. I never looked that good. It never said a handsome, informed appearance for me. But you know, that that those are the days we kind of dream of as we get older, right? Back when our metabolism worked. You know? You know, I try to get in shape now and it takes a lot longer and I've got to eat a lot better than I used to. Joseph is in the prime of his life. He's a good looking guy. The boss's wife takes notice. She is not a good person. And she proves it over and over and over and over. Uh, one of the things I read about this week was that actually the day, in this day and time, the Egyptian women we not honorable people. They were rabble-rousers. As, I don't whatever rabble, rabble is, they were rousing it, right? Uh, not many people use that terminology, but it's, you know, they were partiers. And now, Joseph is working for one of them, and she decides that he looks good. He refused and said to his master's wife, verse 8, "'Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house.'" And he has put everything that he has in my charge. God, this guy's giving me all of his stuff. He says, no way. He is, greater, he is not greater in this house than I am. That's an interesting way to put it, but that means he's in, he's in charge of stuff. And he has kept, not kept anything from me except for you because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Perspective is important right here, because there's two people Joseph is actually serving. He's serving Potiphar, and he is serving God. And he could basically live in the fear of his boss, right? Anybody ever been there with a temperamental employer? And when that guy shows up, you wonder what's going to happen next. Is he going to blow his top? Is he going to be screaming at me? You know, and and I and I worked in several schools and some principals were better than others, right? But he has been given great honor by this man with great power. Yet Joseph has a different perspective that changes everything in this situation. Because you know, he could probably sneak around. He could probably, you know, do whatever he felt like and whatever he pleased at this moment. Obviously, the, the boss's wife thought so, but he had a different level of, of accountability. The question he asks at the end of verse 9 is the question we have to ask when we have a decision to make about committing sin. All of us. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? When we serve, we have to remember who our ultimate level of accountability is. And see, we, we end up having all kinds of rules and say, do this, don't do that, You know, and then you're accountable to this person for this reason and this person for that reason and all these different things. You've got to pay your taxes. You've got to do all these different stuff. All this different stuff. Yet... We don't often, and even Christians are guilty of this, put it back to where the ultimate authority lies. We don't want to get caught by the world because we might get embarrassed. But what God has said is do the right thing because it honors me, it honors the Lord. And so Joseph's perspective goes beyond the household which he serves and to the God whom he desires to honor. The Hebrews were very different than the, everybody else in the world at the time. They were monotheists. They believed in one God, right? The Egyptians, I mean, one of the names of the Potiphar uh, means a servant of the sun, not the S-O-N like we would think of Jesus, but S-U-N. That's one of the things it could mean. So... The perspective then is that they serve all these different gods of their, their locality, right? And really, one of the things I like to see, uh, I see and like to try to get people to get through our thick heads, and I say ours, mine too, the devil's not very creative because the Egyptians had all these gods, and then the Persians. And the Babylonians had all these gods. And Baal is involved in all of that with the Canaanites in there. And then you get to Greek and, and Greece and Rome. Guess what? They're all they all look really similar. They really do. They have a lot of things in common. The devil's not creative. But we're also sometimes not very smart. <laughs> we get tricked by the same things over and over. And I get these allergy things in the fall that I have to deal with here. All right. God's not tricked by any of this. And the, but the devil's not very creative. The same things that Joseph deals with here. You could put this in a modern soap opera, right? It's really what this is, is an ancient soap opera this story can be pulled and just put modern words with it, and guess what? It might as well be today. This was at least 3,500 years ago. Joseph, verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. She was relentless. Over and over and over and over. And she's just obsessed with this guy. She thinks she's in love with him. Verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work. And none of the men of the house were was there in the house. Hmm. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now. Um, you can use your imagination about what he ended up looking like fleeing the house. Here's a guy who goes in to do his work and, and, and what he, whatever he is wearing gets left behind. Now, it's interesting here that the, in, verse, in chapter 37, his garment was part of the story, right? His brothers coated it in goat blood And sent it back to dad and said, look what we found, dad. And dad goes, he died. And they nodded their heads. They let him, that's still a lie, by the way. (laughs) When you let untruth persist, that's still lying. Now, this guy can't get away with anything with his clothing. Literally, he can't even get away with his clothing. Ponder that. Couple people laughing. I didn't mean to kill Zach. I'm sorry. All right. So she kind him by his lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, she fled out and had fled out of the house. She called to the men of her household wherever they went. They weren't far off, probably just down the hill working the field. Her attitude changed. Why? Because of her guilt. Up to that point, it had been the prospect of sin in a good time. When she realized all of a sudden that she was in the wrong, her obsession with Joseph translated to hatred for him. Because now she was in trouble. So, what does she do? She She projects it to him. She called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he's brought us among a Hebrew to laugh at us. Who is he? Her husband. She takes the blame away from Joseph and puts it to Potiphar. She's sneaky. This is all she can do to get whatever she wants. She cried out with a loud voice. And then in verse 15, As soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. Where did Joseph go? Away. He did what he was supposed to, right? He fled the devil. What does it say in the New Testament? Resist the devil and what? He will flee. Well, Joseph did what he was supposed to. Mm, It didn't work out too well. She tells him the same. At least she kept her story the same, right? A lot of times when people make up stuff, they switch things around. You can give her that level of, I don't know what to say about that. Anyway, and she told him the same story, saying, this Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, came in to me and to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So the charges are there. The only person who has the ability to deal with this is Potiphar and his wife who is lying to him. Well, remember who this guy is. He is a man of great honor, a great authority, of, of great power. And he loses his temper right here. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were combined, and he was there in prison. Now we use this word prison and we probably picture something like Alcatraz. Right? Bars. The prisons of the day were likely another big hole that they had dug. And threw them down there. You remember Daniel in the lion's den? Remember that one? They dropped him in, in there? And then you have uh, and then you have the cistern that he was dropped in by his brothers. They like to dig holes and put them people in them. Leave them there, apparently. But he is in whatever it is, whether it's a pit, whether what whatever it is, you know that they're not concerned about human rights. And we hear a lot of that about, you know, inhumane treatment of prisoners. That's a very modern concept, because prisoners in history were treated so poorly. Ours—it's not a good place to be. It's not a place you want to be. But thankfully, our our world is not quite as cruel as it might have once been then. I'm not saying it's not in other ways. Joseph's master threw him where the king's prisoners were. The king's prisoners probably were at highest level of security right once again he is put as a as a um, he's put forth as an asset versus as a person he's just thrown in the prison and they put these prisoners to work and now joseph once again proves his worth but the lord was with Joseph, in verse 21, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor at the side of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison had paid, paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. We deal with all kinds of trials, temptations, sufferings, injustices in our lives. We see here that an honorable person suffers not once but twice at greater measure for things he had no business being involved in. And he didn't have anything involved in. He was just being an obnoxious teenager the first time, right? Second time... He ran away in order to bring glory to God. And he gets thrown in jail. It just gets worse and it gets worse. But we see that statement over and over and over. The Lord was with him. When we go through these hard things in our world, in our times, we would do well to remember somebody like Joseph. And I do believe that's why that's here. But this is also a picture, ultimately of what Christ does for us. Christ was tempted. Luke 4, Matthew 4, what did he do? He resisted the devil. and The devil fled, as was promised later in the New Testament. Probably greater temptations than we could ever imagine. We, we, tend, to, um, we tend to gloss over the things Jesus went through and say, yeah, but he was God. Jesus suffered more intensely than we ever could have because he was at once fully God and fully man. Can you imagine being perfect and holy and, and having everything at your fingertips and then all of a sudden looking like one of us? Dealing with the stuff we have to deal with? Our God. Philippians chapter 2 humbled himself to the point of death. He was imprisoned unjustly, punished unjustly, in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And ultimately, it brought him the greatest glory. There's another New Testament parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25. I just want to do one verse, the parable of the talents. The... um, Talking about the master who gave the talents to the five, the two, and the one. Uh, The one who had who got five invested it and it came back. First, the one who got two did the same thing and it came back to him. The one who had the least, the one talent, buried it. And when the master returned, he said, "Here's your talent, and I didn't do anything with it because I knew you were a, a, a harsh master." And he said, if you knew I was harsh, why didn't you do anything with it? What did he say to the rest of them? Verse 21 says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This is the picture that we see with Joseph. Joseph is first giving, given charge of a household. The household flourishes. He's punished unjustly. He ends up in prison. Guess what happens in the prison? The prison flourishes. How does that work? It did. And we're going to see, ultimately, this isn't the end of the story. That God draws the people together to follow this former slave prisoner to rescue multiple nations. God is just. And we don't see the end result of our own suffering many times. But He is faithful when we place our trust in Him. He brings us hope. He brings us grace. He brings us salvation. He is so good. Joseph suffered, but ultimately he receives great honor. Jesus suffered and receives our glory. That we would worship Him because He took the place that we deserved. We see Christ fulfilled. We see His life at work in us now. Maybe you have been accused of something in your life that wasn't fair. Maybe you are dealing with some kind of trial in your heart. Realize what Joseph ends up seeing through this whole story is that God was in charge. The Lord was with him in his grace. Joseph was not a perfect person, but God is a faithful God. Will you trust that faithful God today? Let's pray. God, you are good to us. I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Help us to follow you, to trust in you. Help us to uh, realize the blessings you give us. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for how you bring healing in our hearts through trials, through suffering. Help us to have the heart that Joseph had through these, to be faithful to you. We don't get a picture of all the emotions he went through and the feelings he had, but we do see who you are. You are faithful. Help us trust you in the hardest of days and realize your goodness in each moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together in our time of meditation. Altar is open if you desire to follow Christ in some way, need some prayer today. Let's just bless our God and worship him.